just like how you orgasm i think is like something you don't consciously think about when you masturbate so i don't know Beautiful i'm a huge thing. fan <laughs> Welcome to the Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. This is Phil Michaels, Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and performance coach. Every year, Forbes names the top 30 entrepreneurs, leaders, and stars in the world. And each week, I bring you one of them to help you level up in your life and business. From celebrities like LeBron James to Kylie Jenner and Cardi B, to entrepreneurs with companies like DoorDash, Instagram, and YouTube, you're sure to learn from the list. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now it's time to level up. Level up. Welcome to Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. Today we have a very special guest. She made the Forbes USA list in 2020 this year for the consumer technology category. She's the co-founder of Lioness, the women-led sexual wellness startup that built the world's first and only smart vibrator that improves understanding of sexual pleasure and orgasms through biofeedback data. The Lioness Vibrator is the only vibrator in the world that lets you see your orgasms so you can learn how to make them better and better. It uses precision sensors and an app to track your orgasms and see what factors make your orgasm better or worse. Stress, alcohol, sleep, partners, and more. After all, as the old saying goes, never measured, never improved. They were recently featured as best of CES 2020 and a finalist at Last Gadget Standing. And Anna, she was previously a mechanical engineer lead at Amazon, launching the Amazon Dash Button's original concept. She's spoken at UC Berkeley, South by Southwest, and was named Paper Magazine's Asian Women Creators. You need to know. She's a big advocate in Lioness's mission to expand understanding and research in sexual health and destigmatize female sexuality. She has a BS in mechanical engineering from UC Berkeley and currently resides in the Bay Area. Please welcome our very special guest, Anna. Hi, thanks for having me, I'm excited. Very excited to have you here, Anna. Welcome to the show, I'm honored and I can't wait to share your story with our listeners. But before we dive into things, where were you when you found out you made the Forbes list? You know, <laughs> So I was actually in Vietnam. Um, I was coming back from a short vacation trip and we were, we were on the plane. So I like was turned, I turned off on my phone for airplane service or airplane mode. And um, right before I got a text from um, an old intern that I had and she was like, Oh, congrats on Forbes. And I was, I was like, what, what are you talking about? And so I was like switching out the SIM card really fast before the flight was leaving so that I could check. And I, that's how I found out. So the rest of the, flight I was just sitting there because I couldn't read or like I couldn't check anything so I was just sitting on the whole flight just being like I wonder what's happening right now and I was like <laughs> is it real so um it was de definitely such a mind-blowing experience because I think also for some reason I wasn't on the emailing list <laughs> so they I didn't ever see the email come through that I was like selected so I truly found out at the same time everybody else found out it's, it seems like this is a common issue i just same thing it was like my old professor had messaged me and said go look on facebook and i was just <laughs> how did they find out before me yeah it was such a trip and i was like is this serious and i was yeah it was it was really such fun. a proud moment who, who was the first person you shared it with when you got the news 
Um, I probably, probably my brother uh, was probably the first person I texted and was like, guess what happened? Um, I told my mom that she's, we're, she's Korean. She's very Korean. Uh, we came, moved over from Korea. So she doesn't 100% know what it was, but she was like excited. But I don't know if she actually knew <laughs> what, the, yeah. what that meant or anything. But yeah. Sure. In a previous podcast episode, we were joking around with, I wonder what our parents think we do and if they could properly and articulate it properly articulate it to someone they they know about what we do and how accurate it would be <laughs> oh man i have great stories of me telling my mom how i even what i do for a living and how i make sex for <laughs> so <laughs> yeah actually that segues perfectly so take us back to the very beginning anna where yeah. you're from where you grew up and the path that led you to where you are now ultimately making it to the forbes list Definitely. So I, uh, I was born in the US in SoCal and towards LA. And I actually we moved back to Korea when I was a baby. So I lived there till I was about six and then moved back to the US. Um, and so I went to UC Berkeley, I always knew that I wanted to do something in engineering, because I just wanted to build things. I thought it was like such an incredible superpower to be able to look at something, draw it out, and then being able to have it in your hands. And so um, I, I always thought I wanted to be in like a big corporate setting, you know, especially with I think cultural expectations of like, you have a good job, you stay at that job for many, many, many years. And like, um, and then you retire and you have a family and all of that. And so I did that for a couple years. And then I realized that it just there was something missing in terms of like, what I was passionate about. And not that I was like, ever thought I was going to make sex toys for a living. I didn't grow up being like, oh, I want to, you know, build vibrators. I think it's like a really cool thing. So, um, <laughs> yeah, what, anything, do you wanna, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, that would, that would be an atypical <laughs> answer. If anything, I was like, um, I tell this to people all the time, because I think it's so relevant to so many women and people with vagina stories. Like, mm. I was actually extremely uncomfortable with my own body till I was like, in my like, early mid 20s like I felt really ashamed and I think um in the past like I experienced sexual trauma as a child and I think mm. a lot of that made me feel like I didn't get to deserve I didn't deserve like loving or like finding pleasure in my own body because I felt like I had lost that part of myself and so I actually was like very scared of like anything sexual or all of that or just like exploring my own body and it was actually so I was at Amazon. I ended up at Amazon after I graduated. Um, loved the experience. I had an amazing team. And then I just, one day I was like, you know, like it'd be really cool to build something that I feel like I am I can help change. And so um, I actually ended up meeting a, a CEO of a different sex toy company at the time um, that's no longer around. But I was like, to him, I was like, how do you know what your building is? works for women mm -hmm. and like people with vaginas like how do you know that product is a good product and he was like oh there's this industry standard where you put the vibration on your nose and that's what a vagina feels or a clitoris feels and i remember just being like <laughs> what like i cannot believe that's like it's something that people say in the industry and if like you go this to is like the quality control metric where you yeah using, the or they say yeah or they say like the skin between your thumb and your pointer finger like that's like a sensitive part of your skin and so like that's kind of what it is and i just realized that they're building such intimate products that are supposed to help women or like enjoy, have find enjoyment but like clearly i don't know if they were building 
with something with like the right intentions. And so um, I actually at the time ended up meeting my two co-founders now who were building this like AI vibrator at the time. And I was like, hey, like, I just want to help you do the mechanical engineering. Like my background, my jam is doing manufacturing, understanding how to do that design, all the mechanical engineering around it. I'm not asking for anything. I'm going to keep my job at Amazon, but let me just help. I've left help. And so that's how it all started. And clearly I did it for maybe too many months of trying to have both a start doing a startup and a full-time job. Um, so I was like commuting from San Francisco down to Sunnyvale to go to Amazon. And then I would go from Sunnyvale to Berkeley to work on this startup. And then I would go from Berkeley back to San Francisco and wow. it was like three in the morning. And I was doing that for so many months. One day I woke up and it was like, noon and so I was like completely late for work and I was like you know like I can't do this anymore and so I kind of came was to this like, pivotal moment where you're like I either need to stop one thing give up one put all my time into the other because this is not working definitely yeah it was it was definitely I think when you wake up at noon and you didn't <laughs> you've slept through like nine alarms it definitely is an indication that your body is probably at its like at, at its breaking point um, so I just decided like, man, I, you know, why not? Like, I want to give this a shot. I think like being a woman and being a woman in engineering, especially, you know, the years back when I was starting out as a career, my career in engineering, like there's so much of a superpower that we don't realize and being able to design and engineer something for people with vaginas because mm. you also have one. I think there's an amazing superpower to that. And, and there's such a lack of it. Um, having females and women and uh, just diversity in tech. And so uh, I bit the bullet, I quit my job and I started Linus with my two co-founders now, Liz and James. So it's been Let's see. I think I passed my five years a couple months ago. So now I'm kind of in year six, which has been Congratulations. <laughs> and, and you were at Amazon. And while you're at Amazon, you were a part of the team that it came up with the original concept for the dash button, which is, if I remember correctly, this is where Amazon essentially created a button that you could put on your washer machine. For example, you hit the button and boom, Tide detergent shows up at your door. Yeah, so I had it. I was I ended up in such an incredible team. Um, it was called concept engineering. So we worked on projects that are supposed to be like three to five years out that didn't necessarily have to do with the current um, product line of like Kindles and the tablets and things like that. Um, so it was really cool because we, we had very cross disciplines. We had, you know, electrical engineers, software engineers, firmware, and um, we all had that in one team. And so we were constantly like building out products and um, prototypes. And so uh, it was like, it almost, I feel like it kind of built me for startup hardware startups, because I was like, oh, I know how to like, think about things, work in a small team and get a product prototype out. And then also knowing how to do that for mass production. So uh, it was, you know, I am so grateful for my time there. I had amazing mentors and uh, bosses and all of that, that really kind of helped me, I think, grow up in a lot of ways. That's amazing. And, you know, going back to your early childhood and, and the trauma, I've found just be, by doing this podcast, how many Forbes members have taken a trauma or 
an impactful moment, a pain in their early childhood that ultimately became their greatest gift, that ultimately became their business idea that they're now serving so many people in an impactful, positive way. And it's amazing. I continue to see this commonality, this trend, this pattern amongst all of us. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely been incredible. And it's been a healing ground for me too, because I didn't know, I think when I first started, I didn't talk about why it was so important to me to work on a product that wasn't just a sex toy, but had this like data integration Mm. to help women and people with vaginas learn about their bodies, like what's working, what's not, you know, what makes you feel good, what doesn't and just you know, learning to feel confident about your own body. Because I think the biggest question we have is, am I normal? Why does this happen? Does this, is this normal that it happens? Why is this happening to me? And, you know, most of the time, it's 100% that you're normal. It's just that we don't get to have these conversations. And I think on top of that, there's so little research in uh, female sexual function. Um That we don't know, like, we ask your OBGYN a lot of times, you know, they're, they're not sure either, because there's so little research. And one of the biggest research studies that people still use this day on sexual function for women is, was a sample size of, I think, like 24 women, and it was back in the 1980s. So you just, how can we base that on all like millions of women, you know, so um, yeah, it's been and great. you came in because you took a personal story. So you had the passion, you had the innate desire, and you also were able to use your hard, tangible skills. Like, wow, I found the intersection of my passion and, and my competency. And now I have a purpose that yes. is more fitting for you with a deeper level of meaning. Totally. I'm a huge fan of intersection. Um, cause you know, a lot of people are like, you should just be really, really good at one thing, but I think in this world, the more I'm learning, especially as a small startup, like you just have to be, I think the best thing you can be skilled at is learning a bunch of different skills (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Be an ongoing sponge. I love that. How did you, when you had that conversation with your mom, I really need to hear this. I mean, how did that go? How did you explain this? I'm quitting Amazon, mom, (laughs) for something safer, more secure, more, you know, sustainable for my job security. (laughs) Yeah, so I grew up in a very conservative Korean religious family. Um, You know, we lived in Korea for many years. My parents are your classic, you know, immigrant Asian parents who just, you know, who came here to help you find a better life than they had. And so I actually, when I first quit and I was working on Linus, I didn't tell them for a couple months. I think I I eventually was like, hey, I quit my job. I'm kind of working on this project but I didn't ever go into detail. And then I think there was a day when she was like worried because I was just like never responding to my phone calls because I was just working on this startup nonstop. And she was like, I'm going to come visit. Like, I want to just see that you're okay. And so she flew up and I kind of was like, okay, like this is my time. I'm going to have to tell her. So I took her to our office back then, which was at Skydeck. So it was like, like a communal space where we had like four desks pushed together. And I was just showing her what I was building. And I was like, this is a vibrator. Like, this is really important to me. And I told her a little bit about, she knew that I, I had sexual trauma in my childhood. But it was, again, one of those things where we never talked about it because it was kind of swept under a rug. And like, I, you know, like I went through like severe anxiety, depression and all that. But, you know, especially in our culture, we don't really talk about those things very often. And so... 
um, it was a moment where I got to be like, you know, back then all this happened. And to me, it's important now that I can do something that's so um, like the exact opposite of hiding and like feeling ashamed. And so I kind of was showing her all the products and she was really quiet um, when I was showing her. And then she was eventually like, you know, when I was younger, I had a vibrator and I was like, oh, okay. And then she just started talking about her sex life and, you know, things that have happened in her past and all of these like beautifully gross <laughs> stories. And it is just one of the most um, beautiful, disgusting things I've ever experienced is we got to have this like full on sex talk together. Um, you know, in one thing, it's like, it's gross because you don't want to hear that from your parents. But at the same time, it was, I couldn't believe that was the reaction she had. And she, at the end, she was like, you know, I always wondered if you were okay from all of that mm -hmm. happening to you and like going through depression all the time. And like, she was like, it's nice to know that like, you're okay. And I was like, I'm really okay. Like, I feel, I feel like I'm in a good place. And so it was actually turned out to be such a great way to, you know, create that full circle. And uh, when I first, when we did our first production run and I was in China and I got those samples, I like packed them into my luggage bag and I brought one to her and I was like, I want you to have this. I was like, I don't care if you use it or don't use it. Like you should keep it. Cause I worked really hard on it. So uh, it turned out better than expected. And I, <laughs> now my entire family knows, my dad knows, my grandma knows, everybody knows. <laughs> that must have been that must have been such a liberating moment like i mean you you finally open up that door it became almost like it opens up the door to all other conversations that might be difficult to have definitely and you know it definitely in retrospect i can say like it was such an amazing moment i think at the moment when she was like telling me about you know like which sex was she had and stuff it was just like a like you fro you freeze and you're like <laughs> oh my god that's like too much information but um I, I think that's one of the greatest things about starting mm. this company is people just being so open to us and, you know, telling us, sharing their stories with us so willingly. I think it's been like such a, a like, I appreciate it so much because I know how hard of a conversation it is to talk about things like that. What would you, what advice would you give someone who is maybe dealing with a difficult discussion like this and they want to share or reveal something with someone close to them? What would you tell them to do? Honestly, um, and like my therapist tells me this, reminds me of this all the time is, you know, if people, if the people that you want to talk to you about, you know, certain things truly love and value you at the end of the day, all they want to see is that, you know, the best for you and that you're happy. And so I think it's amazing to know that that's like your safe way to being able to express yourself. Um, I think we, a lot of us go into kind of a fight or flight or freeze moment where we're like thinking about the worst case scenarios, like what mm. if they reject me and they hate me and all of that. And I think, you know, everyone's family and, you know, loved ones are different and there's definitely difficult conversations that we don't know how to have, but I think it's just always finding the cheerleaders in your families. For me, I, when I first quit, I told my brother, cause he is like my best friend in the world. And I, I knew that he could support me and like, he would back me up if, you know, my mom were to be very upset or whatever, if this conversation went very differently. So I think it's like finding the advocates in your life that's gonna like help you. And also I always say this really practical advice, especially for people who are like, oh, I have an Asian mom, like she's gonna kill me. And I'm always like, 
you know, the practical advice is that you just have to kind of like shock them every few years and then you increase the shockingness and shock factor <laughs> for me i was like i got a tattoo when i was 18 and then she like hysterically cried and then i she i colored my hair like pinks and purples and blues and she was just like what a weirdo and then i shaved my head completely a few years ago and she just like did not even flinch and so um i think it's like building up that kind of like gradually hey, i'm just... okay yeah i'm okay i'm just trying different things you know and i think they're they're more willingly accept like they love you at the end of the day so i think they're they yeah. just want you to be happy <laughs> yeah ultimately they're just looking out for your safety they love you they're worried about you how's this going to affect does she have job security long term they care about you. They love you. They want the best for you. Sure. And sometimes the expectations they have for you are not the expectations you have for yourself. And there's a little bit of those growing pains when you don't meet their expectations or you exceed their expectations or they're yes. just simply different. <laughs> yes. And it's, you know, that's like a really important thing is that it's not about you. If they're mad, it's not they're mad at you or they don't like you as a person. It's that expectations weren't met that they had. And so it's like understanding that separation, I think is important. Yeah, one of the things that Tony Robbins did when he was studying, uh, he was asked to go and, and speak to the military. And the military um, had like a special forces operation training going on. And he was asked to go speak to them. He speaks with them. And then the general like pulled, pulled him aside and said, you know, what is it uh, do you think about these soldiers where they have very high standards for themselves, very high expectations for themselves. They wake up at like three in the morning or running 10 miles, whatever it may be, right? And then they go back to civilian life. And when they transition back to civilian life, eventually they gradually start lowering their expectations and, and standards for themselves. And he said that you will succumb to peer pressure very easily. It's human nature. So you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you, the five people you spend the most time with are, let's say your significant other or your family members or your friends that have been living the civilian life, they don't have the same standards or expectations that you have. So what happens is it's, it's not that, let's say you wake up at 3 a.m. and you're gonna go on this 10 mile run again because that's what you're conditioned to do. And your significant other goes, oh, come on, just relax once in a while, you don't have to do that. And it's not because they're trying to hold you back or that they don't love you. It's, it's because they do love you and they just want you to be okay. And they want you to be safe and happy And their definition of how they define and envision happiness or safety or love is different than maybe how you envision it. And I think it's an important value to recognize like people have different expectations and, and maybe guiding them through those boundaries of, Yes, you understand them, you empathize with them, you understand their frame of mind that they're coming with their perspective, but then also sharing, hey, this is what I want to do. This is my passion. This is my interest. This is what I, my purpose is. Yeah, that's incredibly well put. I like would love to get that translated in every Asian language possible <laughs> so I can share it to like all our parents. I love that. There you go. And then, speaking about this taboo topic, it, seemed, it reminds me of John Lennon's quote where he talks about you know, we're able to kill people in broad daylight, but then when it comes to making love, we feel like we need to hide. And it seems like sex and physical love, affection has still been a taboo topic recently. Can you share oh, more about man. how we overcome that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so 
it's you know it's really interesting so we're in the bay area so we're you know in silicon valley of startups and it's kind of where people you know things happen and where you make dreams come true uh, when we first started this company, we knew that it was going to be hard. We knew that it was a taboo topic, but I think we were like, oh, but we're in the Bay Area. Like, this is the perfect place to do it. And I think in general, what we've learned over the time is like, I think the U.S. in general is, you know, far more conservative, especially, you know, with a lot of things and especially coming with to sex and like female pleasure is like a very taboo topic that I think we still have very outdated rules and uh, ways that we can talk about it or like it has to, especially like in the startup world, I think if for investors, they, they're always like, oh, we're into, you know, doing health things and biofeedback. But then when it's sexual pleasure, a lot of times we've gotten like, I don't see why that's important. And then, and you know, like it has to, they're like, why don't you guys do something that has to do with fertility or menopause or all of that. Like it has to have a very like health function to it. But it, the, the important thing is that, you know, sexual wellness is a part of your sexual or just wellness in general, but it's like a hard sell. Cause I think it's like enjoyable and things aren't supposed to be enjoyable. And as much as like fertility and all of that is super important. I think when we talk about like, oh, we're doing a lot of investment in femtech or sex tech, it's always focused on fertility, especially. Um, so it's definitely been an obstacle to be like, to go into an investor's office and being like, oh, here's a vibrator that we built. Like we did it with a team of five. You know, we got all the engineering down, all the manufacturing, we've got it. Like we can get these out the next day. And for a consumer hardware product, like people know that's like an almost impossible task. And we did it. And but then people like the investors, you know, tends to be all uh, male and they look at it and they're like, oh, I don't need to touch it. And I was like, no one's used it. Like, you know, pick it up, like see how it's like a fully finished product. And and then they like will bring in their executive assistants who tends to mm. be a woman and being like, OK, what do you think about this product? And, you know, what is she supposed to say of like, oh, I, you know, I love these. I have like 10 of the, you know, like and so she's like, oh, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not sure. And. And I don't blame that person because she doesn't want to be categorized as the person that you go to yeah. for everything womenly or whatever. And so, and it's like um, uncomfortable, I'm sure, for her talking yes. to her boss about this in a formal environment in a business setting. It's like, how do we break down down those barriers and also allow everyone to be comfortable talking about this? How have you overcome this obstacle? You know, a lot of I think when we first started, we there were definitely times we took it pretty hard. Like we took it personally of being like, what the heck? Like that meeting was so horrible. Like, and we did a lot to be like, okay, well maybe we should dress more professional or like we, maybe we shouldn't say the word like clitoris or masturbation and all of that. Um, I think over the years we've, it's almost like you just, it's I think a part of just growing up and you're like, I just don't give a shit what other people think. Like I don't want investments from people that, think that way or can't expand beyond like being like oh it's a sex toy like we're doing so much work to expand into research and medical academic researchers like we're opening these doors for using this data to be one of the largest studies in the world that has about female sexual function and so we are very confident in what we're building and we're sure that this is an important thing and so we and the numbers also don't lie like 
how many people purchase sex toys and are in, you know, in this industry, I think is a clear indicator. So to me is like anyone that has a bias just because it's quote unquote icky or whatever, like you just kind of, I don't know, sometimes it's kind of fun now because I like perfectly look them in the eyes and say just very intense, like masturbation, clitoris, like vagina, like just shock toys. value. Yeah. Just break their pattern, get them out of their comfort zone. And it's like, okay, now that you're over yes. that, we can move forward to the business because yes. here's the numbers and we're taking a scientific approach to sexual health. And if you want to be on the bus, we're happy to have you on the bus. But if you don't want it, like, then we're on to the next yeah. one. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I always say like, you know, men can use this too. We've had a bunch of men use it anal, like anally, because the, the muscles there are your pelvic floor muscles, they all function very similarly, and you get the similar biofeedback data. And so I love saying those kinds of things. But I think there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of big businesses, because we can't, even though we're a sexual health company, um, because at the end of the day, they see us as a, as we're categorized under pornographic materials. So mm. we can't do the traditional Facebook ads or Google ads or all of that. So we can't have ads on different, um, like traditional paths. And I think when we try to get covered by like bigger social, like media networks, there are a lot of times they're like, we can't have this, like, this is way too sexual. So I think there's still a lot of work to be done. I think everyone always says they support, you know, women founders and femtech and sex tech, but I think, you know, words are cheap at the end of the day. So it's, yeah. I think you need to take there's action. so, Let me there's be so the, many, yes. Let me be the there's gateway so many, to like, this. Just like you had the, the conver initial conversation with your mom and opened up the door, you know, hopefully this will open up the door to allowing you and your team and enabling this conversation to happen because it needs to happen. It was just like the stigma with mental health for a long time. It was like, Oh, you go to a shrink, like you're crazy. Yes. You were labeled as crazy. It was actually like a diagnosis. For yes. And now we're realizing like, Oh wait, we actually therapy is important. Your mental health is important. And, and for a long time, that wasn't the case. I mean, even I'm a coach and coaching for a long time was like stigmatized. And now we're starting to realize like, Oh, it, everyone could use a coach. It's not just certain people. And every, you know, one of the sayings I always use is every athlete doesn't have a coach, but every Olympian does. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. I think we're, we're, it sounds like we're starting to shift the paradigm for sexual health as well. That this is, this is for everyone and it's normal and we need to normalize. It. And it reminds me, you and I were just talking about this before the interview started, but uh, one of my favorite speeches of the past 10 years is Emma Watson's he for she campaign with United Nations. Amazing, eloquent speech if you haven't watched already, but she talks about this he for she where we empower men to empower women rather than trying to be uh, him versus her. Let's let him empower her. And, and through that, he can enhance his masculine energy, for example, instead of feel emasculated. And how can we make that conversation happen more often and more transparently? And it led me to dive into Emma Watson a little deeper with the work she's with the work she's doing. And one of the things I forget the name, but you and I were just talking about this, how she created this platform and somehow involved where women can openly teach and talk about masturbation female masturbation specifically and they have video content but it's done in a in a very um i don't want to say formal but in a digestible way that's meant for educational purposes not just you know pornographic material which it seems a little outlandish to even call it that it's for someone's health and yes. it, this was in i think europe 
I think specifically France, I could be wrong by that, but it seems like the US is a little antiquated in that approach. Is there any, tell me if I'm wrong, but is there anything we're doing on the US's behalf to, to also educate people and open up that conversation? And maybe it's yeah. you, if not. Yeah, so I think there's quite a bit. There's, you know, we've seen a huge, we felt a little bit lonely, I think, when we first started. Um, you know, one being female founders is surprisingly, you know, uncommon. And then um, doing things for femtech and sex tech is also very uncommon. And so I think one of the actually interesting things is that traditionally the sex toy industry is male dominated. Almost all big industries that are making those like pumping out all those like sex toys, vibrators are tend to be all male led companies. And I think over the years, we're starting to see that completely shift. And I think especially this new generation is really taking that into control of like, this is not how this industry should be done. And so we're seeing so many amazing femtech and sex tech companies come out and they do have a lot to do with education or having safe spaces to have conversations. And so um, I think that's been really amazing to see of like, just seeing all these like Cindy Gallup of Make Love Not Porn. She's an advocate for, you know, making videos that aren't, don't have like the traditional pornographic kind of feeling. And it's just real people making love. And um, there's companies like Taboo, which is like a platform where there's a bunch of education and um, easy articles for you to read to just educate yourself in terms of anything pleasure driven and all of that. So I think we're seeing so many amazing companies come up and it's all because we're all, we all grew up not being able to find those spaces. So there's definitely a big shift. Um, I will say like a big win is at CES, uh, which is Consumer Electronics Show, one of the biggest um, electronic shows in the world. Uh, for all these years, sex toys were banned from coming, no matter how innovative or whatever. It was considered like they were just not allowed to have sex toys. But then we realized this weird thing of like, but then there's like people that are booth babes that are allowed to come or they have like very suggestive photos. Like I don't understand like what the, what the reason, or they've had like VR porn companies come because that was like a technology. And so uh, like all the companies in the sex tech industry came together and were like, this is not okay. Like we need to see either you ban it for everybody or you let us come. And so 2020 was the first year they had a trial run. Um, so a bunch wow. of us came as sex tech companies. We weren't put in a corner. We were all in the the Sands Hall, just like front and center, had all our banners and things like that. And it was actually such an amazing success for CS because they got so much press coverage around it. The, yeah, I'm the, getting the chills. You know, like you're you're yeah. making history right now. You you get to say this is the first ever, and you won best of show. I mean, that's absolutely yes, yeah. So to, to not just be there, but to thrive and win these awards and get this press coverage. CES is um going to continue doing it for you know it's no longer a trial, and they're looking into bringing sex tech companies into main hall. So it's really amazing just to see that like. I think all of us are companies, sure, but at the end of the day, we all band together as sex tech companies to be like, we need to change this conversation for sure. Yeah, it seems like it wasn't necessarily a sex thing. It seemed like it was more of a just a male dominant thing. Like, oh, we can have the babes over here for the men and we can have the VR porn for the men. But then when it came to the female 
yeah. sex related stuff like oh no sorry that's too much exactly it's so it's so interesting and you know we had our own set of rules too of like you can't have any photos of like people using i don't know they had like really weird i think they were ones to just make sure that we weren't putting like pornographic material on our banners and things like that but it's like we're a sexual wellness company we're building this like vibrator you know there's no phallicness there's no veins like it's it's a tech product like we haven't seen this kind of tech innovation in sex toys you know ever so like why wouldn't you have us at ces is that kind of our argument good for you and you know thinking of those companies that you mentioned one of the ones that you know it seems like when you purchase sex toys for example everybody goes to that typical local rundown <laughs> sex toy shop that's like no everyone's drove you know driven past it a couple times and they they just it looks run down and dingy like a dive bar for sex toys like yeah, no, one wants, yeah. no one wants to go in there no one wants to be seen in there for the most part for and sure. so and you usually get like cheap quality things that are just they're more like a uh, novelty item rather than something that can actually work with a high qual- high quality brand one of the brands i've found to be the most high quality and legitimate is liberator.com mm-hmm. I'm, Mm -hmm. by the way, uh, disclaimer, I do not work with them. I don't get a (laughs) compensation for this at all. I just, I'm recommending it because they actually have quality products. And speaking of products, I saw that you, you know, uh, showed yours on camera. So I would love to dive in now into the technology. And can you show us how it works and explain a little bit more? Because I'm sure the listeners are like, okay, Phil, shut up. I want to see this thing in action. Yes, so happy to do it. So yeah, so this is the Linus Vibrator. This is what we launched with uh, two years ago. Uh, We took about three years to develop. So it looks like a normal rabbit style vibrator. Um, For anyone that can actually see the video, uh, it looks like a normal rabbit style vibrator. But actually, what's interesting is there's actually two floor sensors embedded onto the shaft of the vibrator. So what we're measuring is pelvic floor movements, how the vagina or anal muscles or you know any pelvic floor muscles squeezing and relaxing it's one of the best indicators for arousal and orgasm so you use it like a completely normal vibrator but when you're done you actually get to pair it to your phone and you get to see the data and just like a fitbit you can see actually how it changes over time like for example for me a cup of coffee versus no cup of coffee is a really different orgasm and you know, people have experimented with lack of sleep, stress, different medications. So it really becomes a way to self-experiment and feel confident about what's working and what's not. Um, so orgasms are actually really interesting. It, te- it tends to look like a rhythmic pelvic floor movement. So your vagina is squeezing and relaxing at a really rhythmic movement. It's usually what the orgasm looks like. But actually what we found, and there's a the study that I, was, I mentioned a few a little bit back um, that was done back in the 1980s is that they actually found different patterns of orgasms. And so like the way you orgasm can be very different. Uh, so the, the rhythmic up and down with like similar um, force, forces, force of relaxation and pressure is, is what we call the ocean wave type. It's kind of what we found the most common. Um, and then there's your avalanche where you start really high and then you kind of rhythmically come down. And then your kind of classic, what they show in movies is like, there's people that are what we call volcanoes, which is like a huge explosion of force at the top and then like a slow trickle down. And so we found that really important as one of a stepping stone to figure out what 
what orgasms there are. And I think a big thing is like people asking like, am I normal? Because you might ask your friend, like, you know, talk about an orgasm and then you're like, mine doesn't feel like that. And then you're like, am I, am I having an orgasm? Like, am I doing it wrong? And it's mostly probably because you guys are different patterns of how you orgasm. So so it's not that you're trying to achieve one of those patterns that you just no. mentioned. It's more of, it's more like a fingerprint. Like everyone yes. has their unique pattern. Yeah. So we haven't seen in the thousands and thousands of sessions that we've had, and you know, they're all anonymized. We don't get to see like where they're from, who they from. We're looking at aggregate data. And um, so th those, we haven't seen anyone jump from one to a different one. We've seen people, if you're an ocean wave, I'm an ocean wave, you tend to always be an ocean wave, but the way you have an orgasm, if you've had like, uh, we've done things with like THC lubricant and like CBD lubricant and seeing the huge difference in how you orgasm has been really fascinating. So, so it's like week. you have the, the wave, but maybe you now learn how to amplify that wave. Yes. Got it. So it's just essentially magnifying what you already have so you can get the maximum experience of your fingerprint, for example. Exactly. So I can show you what the actual data looks like. Oh yeah, my screen Please will do. show it. And I would love to hear what's been the most surprising statistics that you've learned from all of these. I know you keep their uh, data private, which is phenomenal, but then you get to learn insights about the data after you see trends and patterns of X amount of sample size. I, be, I would love to learn what is the most surprising statistics or most common statistics mm. you found that have been most insightful for you. I think the most interesting thing I've learned is um, I actually had a male friend, like have, I gave him a Linus and I was like, hey, can you try and like, would you be willing to share your data with me? And then we, I like took a look and I thought the most interesting thing was that we have really similar orgasm patterns. <laughs> so I think the way, way male, you know, men or male, um, the orgasm, the way your pelvic floor muscles move is really similar to how females or people vaginas also move. And so we're just like, I was, I thought it was an amazing thing of like, oh, we're like orgasm twins, but I think it has a bigger thing of like, all of us have really similar movements when we orgasm. And I think the great thing is right now, because of the stigma, a lot of the sex research, um, especially at universities are constantly defunded. And they, they don't get enough, you know, funding to be able to do research studies. So the hope is that these are kind of like fun stories of how we find little interesting things. But uh, we're starting to partner with actually like academic researchers and medical researchers now to actually um, give our users the opportunity to opt into their studies. And that's the only time we share data with somebody and they're able to actually reveal more interesting things because i think there's so little we know and you know these sample sizes being so small i think it's going to be really amazing to be able to see you know people with vaginas of all walks of life different you know different race different um areas different like ages all of that being able to see what similarities we have what differences we have i think it's going to be really eye-opening so Learn i'm really excited it. about that yeah, yeah and johns hopkins seems to be always pioneering a new frontier for example they're the first academic institution that's really largely studying psychedelics on, mm -hmm. a, on a large scale at their psychedelic institute and it seems like they would be you know interested in getting involved in something like this because they they have taken on taboo topics previously but i also think about early childhood education I mean, I was lucky enough to go to a Blue Ribbon 
high school where in I think even in a elementary school, we were learning about sex education with an actual class within physical education. We had sexual education. It, how have you seen that? I'm not sure if it's different in California. This was in New Jersey where mm. I grew up, but I'm wondering if there's uh, something that can happen early enough to change this paradigm and start introducing it as normal behavior because kids nowadays i'm assuming if they have access to a mobile phone they have access to a lot of hyperbolic pornography which is not always the best and correct me if i'm wrong for educating children on sexual activity and, and healthy uh, sex lives definitely i think um I, I definitely think we there's a lot of education that needs to happen, you know, early and it's, it ranges from like what you learn, it doesn't have to be like, all sex involved, but just knowing your body parts, like understanding the terminology for the proper terminology for the different body parts you have, what's different between, you know, male and female. I think those are really important conversations to have. It definitely doesn't happen enough i don't know if schools now are changed but i can't imagine that they've changed as much i've also was just very lucky to have an amazing uh sex ed teacher in high school who was just who made us you know stand up and say the words penis and vagina three times without laughing and just like it's showing us how to put condoms on and all of that i think was such an amazing experience that not everyone gets to yeah, have it's amazing. And they made it fun it was like yeah, entertainment rather than just yeah. education Although I don't know at the time anyone, I think all of us are just horrified, but it's like, I look back on it. It's like, that's so awesome that, and she had like a little question box. You can anonymously put questions in and she'll help answer those questions. And I think that was such an amazing advocate for young people that are super impressionable. So I think a lot of the interviews we always have with like, you know, understanding users, I think a lot of us say like, we learn sex through porn, like you watch porn and and it makes you feel very not normal a lot of times and feeling like, why am I like this? Like, why does this happen? And I think for a lot of women too, we hear that you learn through your partner. Like, you know, usually the partner's more, you know, has, has had sex before, or like if you were, you're a virgin at the time, like you learn through somebody else's eyes of, you know, how sex is supposed to be, what you're supposed to like, what you're not supposed to like. And we don't really give ourselves the opportunity to self-explore. So I think I'm a huge advocate of like, you know, like learn safe ways to masturbate, learn safe ways to, you know, like understand consent, I think is very important. Um, and just like understanding your body parts and why, you know, why you have certain things, what a clitoris looks like, I think is a big one. It's amazing how much we know so little about the clitoris or like understand that you know it's like this big thing that goes like inside your body and out and it kind of looks like a what would you call it like a butterfly almost and so like we don't get we don't really learn any of that so and these are things that i started learning as you know like in our company and like being able to be around this like be, like amazing resources mm -hmm. so i think there's definitely a lot to be done in terms of education but i think I definitely think there's steps being done, even if it's not in school, like with social media, I think, you know, there's bad sides to it, but there's also amazing sides of being advocates for amazing sex educators that are out there that are willing to talk about these conversations. And I think, um, I think that's been really great to see. I think people, it's, that's like the amazing thing is like, you know, a lot of times people take it into their own hands too.
fix a broken system. Yeah, maybe it's um, during that sex ed, maybe they all get access to um, a masturbation tool or, or technique to help them got, learn about their bodies and anatomy and physiology is so important. Do you have a community where your users can all aggregate and talk like a Facebook group or? Yeah, so we uh, we worked on it for a little bit. Co building communities is really, I think as a startup, like building communities is really hard because it has to be very self-motivated and also just like very open. So right now what we're focusing on is on, it's like, you know, you explore yourself. Like we're, you know, learn about yourself and understand what works for you, what doesn't feel more confident about your own body. The hope is that we do kind of open up communities where people can share things, especially, um, you know, people that can be related to. So people that are post-pregnancy or post-menopause, like having those communities to really understand the different nuances of like, you know, growing up with time or, you know, your body's changing over time. And so uh, the hope is to continue to do that right now. Like our biggest way is that we have a newsletter and when people actually email us, we're a small company, we're a team of five. So, you know, when people email us, it's like 95% of the time, one of the co-founders reading it. And a lot of times like we'll all take the time to respond. And like, you know, we're so grateful. Like we wouldn't be here as a startup without the people that believed in us as a small company. So we like take the time to respond and people send us, you know, really amazing stories that they love to share with us. And uh, we love to just hear all of those. And like, yeah. That's awesome. There's an amazing app for relationships. Uh, I also don't receive compensation for this. It's called Relish. And oh, okay. it's all about relationship health. And so my partner and I, we have access to it and it gives you fun activities to do every day throughout the week to just re-engage and, and see if you're having an issue and there's a community on it so you can pose questions and it's amazing. And I could really see this in a similar fashion for your company um, since you already have the app and whatnot. And I know you're yeah. going to show us the data too. Yes. I don't want you to think I forgot about that, but I think it's something to look into for you and your team called relish. Yeah, I'll definitely look into it. That's really awesome. And we like the biggest thing is like, you know, experiment with different things. So it's great for, you know, things like relish to give you that opportunity to kind of explore. Cause sometimes it's hard to come up with your own things that you want to try and not try. There you and so, um, so I'll show you kind of like, this is the okay. list view. So you'll see all the different sessions on here. So I'll click into one. So what you're seeing is this is the whole session. So how this person entered, uh, used it vaginally. So how it open like um, squeezes and relaxes over time. And then I can actually zoom in right there. That's the orgasm right there. So you can see wow. that really rhythmic movement. Yes, the so frequency is increasing, yes. right? And the wavelength and then, too. So what we're looking at for those listening that aren't watching, by the way, you should watch this is on YouTube, so you can watch it. But uh, we're looking at the waves of the orgasm um, during the time that they were using the vibrator. Yes. And then the I will show you. So I think that actually, so that's on our demo account, but I'm almost positive that's actually my data. Um, actually, so my co-founder Liz, she has a really similar orgasm pattern as I do. So sometimes we get her like confused if it's just like anonymized for like, I think that's mine or like, I'm not sure that might be yours, but um, I can show you. So that's like what would I would consider kind of a typical one. And then you can see kind of a different one. 
Um, so this is when we started experimenting with uh, THC lube when it first came out, like seeing, you know, is there really effective? Is there a difference? So you can actually see the entire session is just incredibly lots of up and downs, lots of movements, lots of sensation. And a lot then of the volatility orgasm. in the wavelengths and the yes. frequency. And then the orgasm is right here. So that in itself is, it almost doesn't look like that typical rhythmic. It's like a lot of different movements and up and downs. Um, and so it's, you know, the more you just experiment, you're kind of starting to, it's almost like a Rorschach test of like, you're starting to see all these like really big differences in like what's working for you and what's not and things you might not even expect that might be changing um, just your pleasure in general. And you might have thought that was an unremarkable wave, but actually, no, that meant something because as you have X amount of data, uh, I know central limit theorem says about a sample size of 30 or more before you can prove statistical significance. But if you have that size of a sample, then you're starting to identify smaller, more granular changes yeah. in your wavelengths. You're like, oh, that worked. I'm going to do that one again. <laughs> Yeah, I always like love telling people like coffee is like really good for me. It does change it quite a bit. But then wine is like really bad. Like to me is like really flatlines the whole experience. And people are like, Oh, really, that you would think otherwise. And so but it's like, for me, I've learned like, Oh, like, it's just not great for me. So, um, so yeah, it's really like, and you just take like, uh, a cup of no coffee wine. instead of no wine for me, I'm gonna have coffee. <laughs> Exactly. So I think it's really, it's really empowering to be able to like know these little things about your own body. It's just like being able to have all this information about you, you know, we track our sleep and exercise and movement all through Fitbits and all of the sleep apps and things like that. It makes no sense that we don't really take the time to internalize our sexual pleasure in the same do, way. Do you have enough? That's a great point. Do you have enough data to determine yet or make a clear judgment that has worked for most people like caffeine works for most uh if you get seven mm. and a half or more hours of sleep that seems to affect it for most people is there anything that you can make in, in terms of a statement that you've seen so far as an observation of the data or is there enough data to to show that yet so we have i would say right now we're about over fifty thousand like sessions that are kind of in our um database data um, but we haven't, cause like the way that people track it is, you know, they would use unique tags. So like if I had a coffee one, I would tag it coffee, but everyone has very different tags. So the hope is actually with these research studies where people actually opt in. Um, but we've we'll actually done isolate some... the data points at that and the variables to see. Yeah. And actually we've done a couple partnerships with, um, like THC companies, like, um, like ease and uh they vape pens and things like that just to see like well how about like you know thc and sex like how does that change and so we've actually almost consistently seen that like thc in some form whether it's you know you're high on it or you use a thc lubricant which doesn't actually mentally make you high but it like helps kind of stimulate your nerves and around your vagina and yes. um, it heightens the acuity that. through it, which you feel those sensations. Yeah. And so we've almost consistently seen like they've had longer orgasms through that. And, you know, if you're in a state that's legal, I would say like, it's a great experiment to try. There's a lot of, there's not a lot, but there's a good handful of weed THC loop lubricant companies that, are out there that I think are pretty great. So um, 
yeah, it's worth trying go. if you're in a state that can do it. <laughs> and what about those that are listening that are like, I'm a significant other. And if, if I let my partner use this, then they're not going to want to, you know, have sex with me anymore. They're not going to want to, you know, have a playful moment with me. How do you kind of challenge that stigma and let them feel like they're involved and that they're, they're not being replaced by a robot, for example? Yeah. So that's actually, uh, when I first started this company, like that was such a big feedback that we used to get all the time. It's like, oh, I can't get this for my significant other. And I was actually, I was actually surprised because to me, it's like, if you can give your significant other a way to learn about their body and get more excited about, you know, trying different things, I can't imagine why that's a negative thing. And I think also a lot of people do bring sex toys into like their bedroom to have different experiences. Um, one of the cool things that we have actually is because we have a smart vibrator, we're always able to update the firmware and the capabilities of what our vibrator can do. Um, so one of the feedback is like, oh, I want to have more ways to interact with it with a partner. And so we actually put in a live view. So you can actually be using the vibrator. And then on the app, you can actually see that circle of like, how they're relaxing, squeezing, and then also be able to change the motor directly on wow. the app. And then it'll so change it in real time. You're getting the feedback in real time so you could change it in real time as you're watching. Yeah. Oh, this so is working. I, Keep doing that. Yes. Yeah, so it's, you know, to me is like one, yes, it's a great soul thing. I love advocating as like a self-experiment tool, but also I think it's really great to bring in different partners and see what's like, have, just have fun with it. I think, um, you know, not everyone's going to be comfortable with using sex toys, especially a rabbit style that's inserted. So, you know, I'm not forcing anyone to do it. I think start with like bullet vibrators that are just for like clitoral stimulation or something. Um, but yeah, I think anything that helps you kind of enhance your sex life or have ways to learn different things about your own body is like why I feel like it's a no brainer in my opinion. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, it's, it's a genius idea. And it's one of those, those companies where you're like, oh, why didn't I think of that? Especially I'm sure that the people that are in the industry were like, Oh, that's genius. So thinking about you and how you achieve success, what do you think is the single most important attribute that got you to where you are today? Man, I think about this a lot. Cause I think in like, when I speak at universities, they always say like, what advice would you give? And I, I like wonder what my best advice is, but I think, I think one of them is, or I know one of them is you just have to do it. I don't know. I like, I'm always just like, you know, a lot of people have hesitancies. I'm a big, you know, I have imposter syndrome all the time of like, I don't know if I know how to do this, but I think at the end of the day, your willingness to do it is always beyond most people's capabilities of feeling like they, they're not capable. So I think putting yourself in that mentality of like, well, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? And you crank on it. Like my background is very engineering, mechanical engineering, manufacturing engineering. But, you know, when you're in a team of five, you're doing, you know, blog articles, you're doing SEO um, optimizations, you're doing finances and all of that. And it's learning all those things. I think, you just have to have that hustle and just feeling like you're going to figure it out. Um, I think the other big thing, I, especially for, I think college students, I always advocate is like, especially for STEM students is like, take classes that are outside of STEM in like humanities and learning about the world, the history of the world of 
philosophy and like why why the world works the way it works i think i think we're missing so much of that as i know as a berkeley cal engineer i was so like i gotta you know do well in my courses and i need to be able to succeed in this major and i was like trying to take the easiest humanities courses which i think is a huge regret because cal has one of the, some of the best humanities courses out there and you know when you do especially a startup you're gonna come into roads where you're you know it's a philosophical question it's a moral question it's a figuring out like and you end up writing a lot too so i think i would super advocate like take classes that are i think important to you i think for me i really wish i learned more history like i wish i focused more in history classes of why the world is the way it is now because i think it helps you not feel as frustrated of feeling helpless. And I think especially during these times and with Black Lives Matter of like, I know when if like, I felt so helpless in understanding, like, I don't understand why this is the way it is, but we have to keep educating ourselves in the history and making sure that history doesn't repeat. And I think it's everyone's job, especially if you're going to do a startup, like you have a big voice and um, platform. And so you need to figure out ways to use it well. Yes, that's very valuable advice. And I wish everyone had to study psychology too, so you can yeah. understand. I mean, that's the one thing that's common amongst all of us. We all have to interact with other human beings. That yes. should be, I think the arts and humanities are so important and we've been so focused on STEM education. So I'm glad you said that coming from the STEM background, you said, wait a second, let's not forget about the arts and humanities because we are human beings at the end of the day and we need to interact and engage with each other, be more empathetic and teaching empathy, I think should be a requirement too. That's a whole nother conversation we could dive down. And I was just speaking with a organic chemist from mm -hmm. Oxford. He's, he's going to be on the podcast uh, released soon, but he was talking about how he was a ballroom dancer, which is like the antithesis of organic chemistry. He's like, for me to survive organic chemistry, I needed to do ballroom dancing and get out of my comfort zone and do something that was completely dichotomous from, from organic yes. chemistry. And that 100%. sometimes helps you have that balance, that counterbalance. Yes. That's like the same way I feel about like slacklining and surfing. I picked it up um, a few years ago and I think a lot of like, yes, there's a lot of technicality to it and like learning techniques. And for me, I'm such an engineering brain. I'm like, okay, but what is the proper way to do it? And like, why do you do it that way? What are the steps? But a lot of times people tell you like, it's about feeling, you just feel it. And you're like, I don't have feelings. Like I don't have time for feelings. And it's taking that time to just, yeah, go with the flow. <laughs> just go with the flow and thinking about the flow and your journey. What's on the opposite side, what's been your biggest lesson that you learned that maybe you wish you had learned sooner? Um, I think for me, I think it is just feeling, I say this now as I'm, you know, in my very late 20s and you know, a lot of times it's feeling like the imposter syndrome of like feeling like i don't want to actually like okay well i was at amazon doing mechanical engineering but how many years was i doing it am i qualified for it and like especially like as a startup when you're giving yourselves titles and it's like coo cto like vp of engineering it's like what does that all mean am i even qualified for that and i think like as as long as you're continuing to learn i think the biggest thing is just feeling confident of what you're doing just knowing that with the mission in mind like if you don't do it who else is going to do it and i think you just have to give yourself 
the confidence to just hustle or at least fake it until you make it. I think that is such a very resonating thing that I didn't understand younger when people are like, fake it till you make it. And I was like, no, that makes you a fake person. Like that's imposter. But um, I think a lot of time, I mean, I think that we all say like, as you get older, like you just realize everyone's just trying to figure life out. And I think that's a thousand percent true. I think a lot of times like, you know, the younger the younger generation are always like, oh, like, how did you become a founder? Like, that's like an, a, such a brave thing. But I'm always like, listen, like my GPA in college was horrible. I was not a good student. I, you know, a lot of times I do very silly things all the time. And so um, it's just, I don't know, feeling just believing in yourself. in yourself. Yeah. Believing in your, it reminds me of the 2005 commencement speech at Stanford from Steve Jobs. And he's just like, you know, every day I would wake up for a while and anytime I didn't feel like doing what I was going to do today. And I said, no, I knew it was time to change something. Mm -hmm, and, and, mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that he would say to himself, is, I realize it. people aren't that much smarter than me. And I can, yeah. I'm actually capable of this stuff. And if I just believe in myself, even when other people don't believe in me, yes. I can push through and persevere. Yes. And, you know, I love telling myself, like, nobody cares about you in a good way of like, you freak out about all the little things you've done or like, oh, I made this huge mistake. But at the no one cares because everyone's always focused on themselves. I love telling that to myself. because it's, it's very relaxed. It's very soothing in a very weird way. That's yeah, liberating. because <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, this is just my life and my journey. Yes. And no one's going to be on the deathbed other than me at the end of my life. And I'm going to be the one deciding whether or not I lived it to my absolute max and yeah. fulfilled myself. Um, and I love that this, this is why entrepreneurial education is so important because it gives you all these different facets of life that you, you're learning through a fire hose rather than these different phases. You kind of have to learn a lot all at once because you have to be all things to all people. Like you have to write the blog post. You have to do the technical stuff. You have to act as the CEO. You have to hand out titles. You have to manage a team in very, yeah. it's very rare to find that type of learning and education in another realm other than entrepreneurship. So I think the earlier you can learn entrepreneurship and be thrown into starting your own business or company, the, the better, because the more you're going to learn things that you might not learn till your adult life and later and might not ever learn Yeah, how to be empathetic and work with a team and collaborate and, and hustle. And, yes. and speaking of hustle, I always love the scrappy entrepreneurial stories of, of the hustle along the way. What's something that you or your team did to hustle in a scrappy way early on that maybe you couldn't have revealed in the beginning, but you can reveal now. Yeah, I, <laughs> So we're still a pretty scrappy company. I think we're, especially when we first started, it was hard to get funding. We like had a really, we struggled, especially um, as a hardware company. It's, you need a lot of cash to build. Um, I think I always laugh to think about how we started is we started at the basements of UC Berkeley at the, in their invention center. And we were 3D printing vibrators like all night. Like when people weren't using it, we were 3D printing vibrators. I think, I mean, the lab tech were awesome and they knew, but then, you know, sometimes students would come in and be like, what is this? <laughs> like, and so we did a lot of that. And I think a, the biggest thing is like, um, like at the time, so we had these like 3D printed vibrators with like wire sticking out with a battery connected and like trying just different prototyping methods. And it's like, 
well, who, who tries these? Like who has to use this? And so it's always the answer was us. So we've, we've had to go through so many fascinating prototypes, I think over the years, um, when we were first prototyping that were like 3d printed and like had wires that were leading out connected to a laptop. And then I would like build something and I'd be like, okay, I need you to try this, but don't move it this way. Or like, don't turn it this way or else it's going to like disconnect the entire like wires and all of that. So I always think that's like such a funny thing or like when we needed our own data to see if, you know, the way that it was measuring our data was correct. We like would put up like contests for anyone that wanted to, was willing to participate within our team of like, okay, let's see like how many, who can get the most data in a week. And like, we had like little game boards where you would put stickers for like how many times you masturbated that week with the Linus uh, prototype and all that. So talk about we, healthy competition. <laughs> I know. And we vowed that we would never seek it again, but here I am telling you. So um, we've That's definitely amazing. done very crafty, scrappy things to make it, to make this all work. <laughs> it's a great idea and it worked. And, and that goes back to like faking it until you make it. I, one of the other interviews I did, he claimed he was the number one, volunteer company in the world and and they didn't even have any volunteers yet and then they did become the number one volunteer company in the world by number of volunteers and projects around the world and it's just unbelievable like sometimes you just have to believe in yourself that you are that version of yourself before you even get there yeah and i think that's something we learn as a company because we're all pretty like come from kind of like introverted backgrounds of we don't want to like and we I always joke like I wish we had like an amazing salesperson who was just like this is the best vibrator and we 100% believe it is but we're always like well it's just like smart vibrator and like we built it but we don't do enough I think to sell ourselves a lot of times so that's like a that was a big learning curve that we have to do of like there's no vibrator out there in the world that does what we do and like is continuing to expand on research the way we're gonna do it and so I think we have, we like, it's a lesson in ourselves, like constantly learning to advocate shamelessly about our product. Yes. And when you're first, it helps because then you can make that claim. And then everybody else that follows suit is just following your lead. That's the hope. (laughs) All right. We're going to transition into something I call the under 30 seconds round where I'm going to fire off a few questions, Anna, and answer with the first one that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay, let's go. What is the book you've gifted more often than any other book and why? Oh, I have, it's actually right behind me. It's The Toaster Project. Um, it's a guy who for a senior design design project built a toaster from scratch. Like he went to go mine the metals that he needed and he melted his own plastic to build a toaster from scratch. Uh, it's one in the engineering brain of me, super fascinating to even think about, but it also is just in life to realize a $10 toaster, you throw away like what it actually took to build it I, it's such it's written in such a whimsical way and there's lots of photos in it i love it all right we'll put that in the show notes thanks for the sharing what's one of the best investments and one of the worst investments you've ever made and why hmm. i think best investment i'll say my therapist um i've had it on and off for years but you know i every time i do have one i'm always like this you know i'm so glad i'm doing this again because even if you don't feel like you have anything every week. It's just nice to talk to somebody about life. Um, Worst investment, only because this is happening right now, is uh, having a 2007-year car. (laughs) I'm having so many, I'm constantly having to fix things and like learning so much about cars just to fix all the little nuances about it. I would not have this old of a car anymore. (laughs) 
All right, well, audience, you heard it first. If you can help Anna out with a new car, incentivize her to, to level up to a Tesla, maybe uh, we'll, we'll get her there. And um, I love the investment in therapists. It's so important. And even with coaching, I deal with this too. Is some people still think it's like a stigma of, of having to reach out to someone. It's, it's important to have someone you can talk to that doesn't have a conflict of interest or an inherent bias that's solely invested in your health and your success without their own agenda. 100%. What's the most impactful thing you do in your morning routine and the most impactful thing you do in your evening routine? And I kind of have a hint of where this might go. Yeah, I feel like I know my impactful night would be is using, you know, our own product, constantly testing, finding one, we find bugs. And so I always find that hilarious to like, use it in that intentional way. But it's also a great, I don't know, ending to the day. Um, impactful mornings, I, I feel like maybe kind of a silly one, but I make this like really weird green smoothie and I like don't because I don't want to start my day with like sugars I it's literally just has like ginger like a green powder celery um from my garden I like cut salad greens and I throw it in there and then I put apple cider vinegar in it no one drinks it in this house like everyone thinks it's really disgusting but to me like it feels like the right uh oh, that way sounds to start amazing. my day <laughs> I, might, I might have to take you up on that offer when I uh, come visit your way you're gonna hate it but I, I swear it's like I don't know it just makes me like feel good about the day put your pep in your step yes <laughs> all right well, pretend you won the Peter Thiel fellowship and you were to get money to start a business instead of go to college what's the very first thing you do to start your new business oh uh ooh. I mean you know definitely still this business I'm sure but I actually would say like I know that's like a glorified thing of, you know, not going to college. For me, I will personally say like, I loved my time at Cal and it wasn't because like, I think the program was amazing, but it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, to the point of like, I thought I was going to drop out because I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't think I was meant to be an engineer, but it just like forced me into this, like, I don't know, now anything that's stressful at work, I'm always like, well, like I survived, you know, going weeks without sleeping at college, I feel like I can do this now. So um, it definitely taught me a level of like resilience that I think I would have never gotten, it really did make me grow up fast. So but anyways, yeah, let me say I would still work in sex tech. <laughs> there you go. And last one, what's something you never knew you needed? Oh, something I never knew I needed. Hmm. I don't know. I don't think any, I don't know what comes to mind. The lioness. I wanted to say, I feel like I want to say something <laughs> funny, but I don't know. Actually, I can't think of anything. But yeah, I would say a lioness is truly because I think a lot of people are like, I don't see why I need this data. But then we, you know, we get amazing emails from and we're not yeah, people always think this is like the for younger people, but actually mm. one of our biggest um, demographics of purchasers are 50 plus. And so it's like giving yourself the opportunity to one, feel confident that we built a good product, but also just learning about your body of like, just like how you orgasm, I think is like something you don't consciously think about when you masturbate. So I don't know, Beautiful I'm a huge thing. fan. <laughs>
Well, Anna, thank you so much for your generosity to what the audience uh, doesn't know yet is Anna and her team were generous enough to offer anyone listening a coupon code. It's all caps, fill 20, and they get $20 off the Lioness Vibrator. So thank Woo-hoo! you so much. I'm sure yes. all those listening are going to want to dive in and, and give you some more data as well. So this is I'm a, excited. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it's fully private secure. Mozilla Foundation has called us the IoT device to follow in terms of privacy standards. So please look it up wow. if you're like worried or anything, uh, you know, because it's our data too. Like we use it all the time. So we wouldn't want that out in the world. So thank yes, you, but happy to give you that discount. But thank you so much for having me. It was, this was like a really fun conversation to have. Thanks for being here. It was so much fun. Um, before you go, what is next for you? What's the next big goal, milestone or bucket list item you want to achieve? Um, I would say for our company, the biggest thing we're working on is getting this research platform out. Um, so it's going to actually roll out fairly soon on the apps where you can start opting into different research studies and things like that. So I'm really excited to, um, yeah, go into this new generation where we're having new research that we haven't had in many, many, many years or just never had. So uh, we're exciting. I'm hoping to launch one of the biggest studies in the world about sexual function for females. So, and you can really go to lioness.io to find out more and also to get your um, vibrator. And yes. where do listeners go to connect with you directly, Anna? Yeah. Um, so I, I will 100% say if you ping, uh, I think it's help at Linus or info at Linus, it all goes into our team internally. I see all of them come through you're like, this is for Anna, I will read it. So um, yeah, please ping us or on our Instagram or all that. My co-founder runs that. So she always lets me know if someone's trying to reach out to me. So uh, we're a small team. Like it's really easy to find us. We'll put those in the, in the show notes as well. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here today. This is Anna Lee with Lioness who takes care of your sexual health with the lioness vibrator we learned so much today how to have difficult conversations with your parents the uh, morning pep to your step drink cocktail if you want to if you're brave enough to try that out (laughs) how to change the stigma and how to take care of your sexual health Uh, this was such a fun informative episode thank you so much anna thank you it was awesome i hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me have an amazing day Thanks for joining us today. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Who do you think would benefit from hearing it? You can make an impact on their life by sharing it now. Before you go, I encourage you to tell us your favorite part of the episode in the review section. Now it's time to level up. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.